You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Frank Robinson at SFNSF. Thank you for joining me, Frank. Uh, thank you very much. You've had a long and really fascinating career. You started out at Ziff Davis. Uh, tell us about your days at Ziff Davis. <laughs> oh, my God. I think I was around 17 years old, and uh, I heard there was an opening there. I had been working as a copy boy at INS. So I'm running over, and uh, they hired me for all of uh, 20 bucks a week. But uh, I got to know uh, Palmer. I got to know Howard Brown. I got to know some of the authors. But uh, the one I liked the best was Howard, Howard Brown. And it was Howard who taught me to uh, love the mystery field as much as science fiction. And uh, he introduced me to Raymond Chandler, but uh, after that, I tried to combine both science fiction and mystery. And years later, I uh, did a book called The Power, which was a combination of combination Superman story. And uh, that was made into a film by George Pell. Then uh, years after that, um, after working at Playboy and uh, collaborating with Tom Scorcia and uh, uh, The Towering Inferno and all of that. I did a book called The Dark Beyond the Stars, and I sent Howard a copy of it. And Howard never liked science fiction. He was a mystery buff straight through. But I got a letter back from Howard, which I posted on my wall, and it said, you kept me up for two nights. Thanks a lot. And that's my favorite fan letter. Now, uh, tell us about your time as a Playboy advisor. That sounds like a really fun stint. Uh, Well, uh, I'm going to disappoint a lot of people out there. Uh, The Playboy advisor, uh, you have to understand that uh, any questions dealing with sex were considered medical, and you can't give medical advice unless you're a doctor. Same thing applies to legal questions. You have to be a lawyer. So I was the guy who ended up telling you what fish, uh, what wine went with the fish and stuff like that, purely uh, innocent remarks. But um, it was a lot of fun. Were you working with Half in the Mansion in Southern California? And this is the 70s, wasn't it? No, uh, I, w- I was with them in the... Um, the early, late 60s, early 70s, when the mansion was in Chicago. And uh, that was, <laughs> uh, he, had, he, he, he had the Wu Grotto and all of that, and uh, the playmates stayed on the top floor. And they used to, uh, later on, uh, when I became editor of Rogue, a uh, childhood friend of mine was a fellow named Charles McNutt, lately to be re-christened as Charles Beaumont. And he sold a lot of stories. Actually, he sold a lot of stories to both of us. But he would invite me over to the mansion for hamburgers, and everybody would consider me a spy. (laughs) 
Now, you came to San Francisco when? Uh, I came to Fisco, it must have been, oh, 69, no, uh, 72, 73. And uh, Tom and I were working on uh, the Glass Inferno, which became the Towering Inferno. And I used to walk down, we lived on... uh, uh, we had separate apartments up on Red Rock Way, otherwise known as Pneumonia Heights. And I used to uh, uh, walk down to the Castro uh, for breakfast. And there was this guy who ran this little camera store. And he had, he had a dog that was willing to hump anything that was warm and that wriggled. And uh, I fell into a conversation with Harvey Milk, who owned the camera store. And Harvey said, how would you like to be my speechwriter? And uh, he said, we'll stir a lot of shit. It'll be a hoot. And it took me 35 years before it became a hoot. But um, uh, the speeches, God, I, I, I hate to admit it because now a lot of the speeches are considered literature. And I was working on uh, some pretty terrible novels and the speeches I was writing with my left hand, I never thought that they would amount to anything. But uh, there was somebody who told me uh, years ago that when you give speeches or talks, it's not the words you use, it's where you're coming from. And when Harvey gave a speech, everybody listened to where he was coming from. Tell us uh, about uh, your part in some of the, the huge political upheavals that went through that time. I mean, this was a, the Bay, tell us your part about uh, the huge political upheavals in that time. The Bay Area was really in a lot of turmoil, wasn't it? Oh, God, for the for the whole period, uh, uh, the Bay Area had the free speech movement over at Berkeley. Uh, you had uh, protest marches against the war. And then when uh, when Harvey started running for public office, uh, you had riots. And we had marches down the city hall from 17th and Castor down the city hall. And this was at a time when Anita Bryant, God's gift to the orange juice industry, uh, managed to get a gay rights ordinance reversed in, uh, I think it was Miami, Florida, and that rolled all across the nation. And for those of us who had tasted a little bit of freedom, it was like, oh my God, uh, this is what the bad times were really like. And uh, it was Harvey who, the only uh, public official in all of California who debated Senator Briggs up and down the state against the Briggs Initiative, which would have deprived all gay teachers of their jobs in the school system. Not only that, if you were caught talking to anybody who was gay or was in a gay bar, uh, you could be canned as well. And when he started the debates, that proposition was winning 60 or 40. When he ended, it was 40 to 60. And he won it. Could you tell me where you were and what you were doing on the day that Harvey Milk was assassinated? Oh, Christ, man. Um, 
Uh, you're asking the type of question where I'm going to come apart, but I'll do my best. Uh, I was walking down Castro Street. Harvey, Harvey had a premonition of his death all of his life, and he did uh, four tapes uh, of his last will and testament, which one was for me and one was for Ann Cronenberg and uh, a couple of other people. And I didn't even listen to my tape. I threw it in the door because I thought it was morbid. On this particular day, I was walking down the street, and somebody stuck their head out of a bar and said, Harvey's been shot. And I thought, well, you know, what hospital is he in? How bad is it? And then uh, uh, Feinstein, head of the Board of Supervisors at the time, uh, came on the air and announced that... uh, the, the mayor and Harvey had been assassinated and killed. And uh, I uh, came apart. Uh, the crowd started to gather at 17th and the market. And uh, if you see the movie, uh, Milk, uh, they underestimate the size of the crowd that was in the march. It was 40,000 people who marched from 17th and Castro down to City Hall. And uh, Joan Baez saying we all carried candles. All of us were uh, crying, of course. But uh, they had a trial afterward. And Dan White, who was another supervisor, uh, he got seven years for voluntary manslaughter with two out for good behavior. And when that verdict came down, nobody believed it. And the, uh, uh, he had the uh, first ever gay riot. And something like five to 10,000 people landed up in front of City Hall. And uh, they tore down stop signs and uh, tried to batter down the doors. They broke all the windows uh, downstairs in the first floor. Uh, The tax squad showed up late, and then they had pitched battles between uh, the gays and... (sighs) The gays and the uh, tax squad. Uh, something like a hundred gays went to the ER and uh, 60 cops. Uh, Something like a dozen police cars were torched. Well, the chief of police showed up finally and uh, pulled the cops away. But what the cops did was they took off the badges and uh, went down to the Castro and they, uh, they trashed the elephant walk bar. Uh, uh, they beat people on the street. And what is little known, uh, Cleve Jones will uh, confirm this. Uh, he was a honcho behind uh, the movie Milk. Uh, there were gays with rifles on rooftops. And they came, uh, they came that close to a Watts riot. 
Harvey's birthday was the next day, and it was too late for the street to for the uh, uh, city government to withdraw the permit. So for that, uh, they had police stationed all around the area. And uh, they had gays and uh, medical personnel uh, around the area to take care of injured gays. And it was set up for a pitch battle. And that time around, there would have been gunfire. But uh, the the uh, Castle Theater had a big sign in front saying, Happy Birthday, Harvey. And uh, what happened was a dance. All the gays danced. And, and they sang. Uh, they sang Happy Birthday, Harvey. And that was it. But uh, there's nobody. I'm not the only one. Uh, there's nobody who can talk about that without breaking down. I'm on the uh, I'm on the reminiscences on the back of the DVD. One of the things I mentioned was, uh, as a gay kid growing up, I, I haunted the libraries, looking for uh, any information on famous people in history who were gay starting with Julius Caesar as a switch hitter and Tchaikovsky and Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci, all of them. And what I had to say was that I never thought that uh, I would meet my own personal Martin Luther King in the flesh down in the Castro. Uh, I often regretted that uh, People who are going to be important people don't wear a sign around their neck saying, pay attention, I'm going to be a very important person. And I once wrote about that, and I said, I wish to God that Harvey had worn one around his. I wish that I had known he was a very important person when I first met him, not on the day he died. Tell me a little bit about your career, your your most recent novel. Career is what, writer? Yeah, your most recent novel. Oh. Well, uh, the most recent novel, which has not sold yet, is one called The Errand Boy. And for lack of a better word, it's a religious thriller. And I thought I would uh, do Dan Brown one better. Uh, he wrote a page turner with uh, the Da Vinci Code, but in my own personal opinion, it had no ending. And I decided to write one that would have an ending. And uh, it's uh, this is brief and inaccurate, but it's something of an Antichrist novel. It's like... Uh, uh, well, I'll, 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 I'll end up pitching it. You can edit this to fit. But uh, uh, it's an Antichrist novel, 
And you have to consider that God made the entire world and all the universe. And uh, he made germs and elephants and dogs and cats. And finally, he made uh, human beings. And the human beings, he gave free will. That meant that we were out from under God's thumb. We could do anything we wanted. And historically speaking, the first thing we wanted to do was to kill each other. Uh, I'm not a religious man, but going along with it, you might say that uh, Jesus had a mother and father, but he was taught to be Jesus by God. And God expected him to teach all of us sinful human beings how to be less sinful. And again, historically speaking, it didn't work. Uh, there's never been a year without a war. Uh, if you added up all the people who have died uh, in wars and battles and all of that, they would be up in the hundreds of millions. So God has, story-wise, God has given up and he sent us somebody else. And what he sent us was the errand boy. And as far as ordinary people go, you better find the errand boy in a hurry because the world has about 30 days to live. And it's the errand boy's job to take an eraser and correct God's mistake. Tell us how it felt to be on the set of Milk. Oh, boy. Um... That was terrific. That was the best month of my whole entire life. Uh, I'll give you the whole story that happened. You can cut it however you want. Uh, Sean Penn and Gus Van Zandt, the director, and Lance Black, the uh, screenwriter, uh, came over to interview me. So, primarily Penn, uh, he wanted to know how, how he gave speeches, this, that, and the other thing. And after that was done, they took him down to a restaurant called Nirvana in Castro. And uh, uh, Sean had to leave early, but that left, uh, that left uh, Gus and Lance, and uh, we shot the shit for half an hour. And then Gus asked me uh, if I'd like to be in the movie. And I said, oh, you know, I can't act. I was in my high school play and forgot every line. And he said, you don't have a line. You only got one word. And I said, what's the word? And he said, dog shit. And I said, I guess I can manage that. So what they had done was uh, they'd rebuilt the camera shop in a uh, Notion store, in the original location, in a Notion store on uh, uh, Castro. And it looked just like it, complete with a rumpled red couch and a barber's chair and the whole shot. And uh, for, those, for those of us who knew Harvey, when Sean Penn came on set, uh, our jaws dropped. A uh, couple of inches shorter and a voice maybe half an octave lower. But other than that, uh, he walked like he talked, like he acted like Harvey Milk. And I had a couple of scenes with him, which were later uh, cut. But uh, the only way I could act with him uh, was, you know, this is an Academy Award-winning actor. And, you know, who am I? 
But uh, the way I did it, uh, you know, Stanislavski method, I guess, uh, to me he was Harvey Milk. And I talked to him just as if Harvey were alive and all of that. And the same thing with uh, Scott Smith, Harvey's lover, played by uh, James Franco. And um, uh, I wasn't supposed to have any line in the whole thing. But uh, Franco, on the first scene, he notices that I'm not talking. I'm just at his window dressing. And uh, he suddenly turns to me and says, uh, Hey, Robinson, did you get laid last night? And everybody who's talking on the set immediately shuts up. I've been asked a question. I have no lines in the script. So uh, I've been writing dialogue for 50 years, and I figure I can handle this one. So I told a dirty joke right away and uh, brought down the cast and crew and uh, Gus and uh, Cleve Jones, some of the people ran out from the back room and Cleve says, Frank, I didn't know you had it in you and all of that. And they promoted me to SAG immediately, Screen Actors Guild. And uh, I had a couple of scenes after that, two of them with uh, Sean um, Penn is a very, very political guy. Um, I think they paid him in uh, uh, hamburgers and uh, green stamps, but uh, he was in it, I'm sure, for the politics. He liked the politics, and he did a great, great job. And in one scene, he, he's addressing the crowd from the steps of City Hall, and I'm in the background there, again, window dressing, wallpaper. But uh, I suddenly recognize his speech, and it's one that I had written. And uh, I thought, oh, boy, this is great. But uh, uh, that's it. Um, they interviewed me later on for uh, uh, the uh, special stuff on the back of the DVD. And uh, I gave all all my reminiscences of Harvey, et cetera, and uh, they kept me on, on uh, camera for an hour. And I, I just went to and I did everything I'm doing here. I broke down um, some laughter. But uh, it is a great movie. Uh, it is a great movie because this year it was the only movie nominated for anything that had anything to say. I mean, Slumdog Millionaire may be a very entertaining movie, and I'm sure that uh, uh, Brad Pitt and uh, Benjamin Button, uh, I'm sure both of those are entertaining movies, but it's Milk that actually has something to say. And at the time when it came out, they had uh, marches against uh, Proposition 8, which uh, was a proposition for same-sex marriage. And uh, my own opinion on that and the opinion of everybody that I knew was it's equal rights for everybody or it's equal rights for nobody. And there were 18,000 couples who got married. And I keep thinking that, you mean to tell me that you can strip the legal rights of a minority 
by a simple up-down vote by the majority. If you can do that, then no minority has any rights, and we are all members of minorities. It all depends on how you cut the cake. I've been speaking with Frank Robinson. He's the author of The Power and the speechwriter for Harvey Milk. Thank you for joining me, Frank. Uh, I'm glad that you asked. I I really am. Tonight uh, will be the first time I've ever had a reading of my own material, and uh, you've taken the edge off. I'm no longer nervous. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.